Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 this is the word to stand on for life with pastor ron arbaugh the word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of calvary chapel in san antonio a live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. tuning into the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer your questions, questions about Jesus, questions about what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, maybe you're going through something in your life that we can give you a little bit of help with according to the scriptures. Whatever you want, we'll do the best that we can. Our phone number for your live calls is 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in on our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button, and with your hands-free device, you can be connected directly to the studio producer. 340-9585 for your live calls. Because it's Wednesday, uh, tonight we have our Old Testament Bible study. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, Really an important chapter. It's kind of sad. Uh, David gets tested, perhaps the biggest test of his life. He passes it. Um, But um, it's just really difficult watching somebody deteriorate um, before your very eyes. And that's what we're watching with with, uh, Israel's first king, King Saul. So that's tonight, 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Or you can join us. We don't usually have a full house on Wednesday nights. So... We would love to have you uh, tomorrow, uh, date day edition. Paula will be live in the studio with me if her voice is okay. So please pray for Paula's voice. Uh, she just returned from the pastor's uh, wise retreat. I got to see her and hug her for just a minute, and then she had to go home. But uh, she feels fine, she says, but her voice is almost completely gone. So pray for her voice so we can do the date day edition of the program tomorrow live in studio. Hey, quick heads up. Um, I'm going to be gone on Friday, so we'll be doing a repeat broadcast of an earlier show. And I would appreciate your prayers. I'm speaking at a conference in McAllen, Texas. So uh, we planted a church down there, and and uh, there's a big conference down in the valley. So they've asked me to speak. So I'm going to be speaking Friday night and Saturday morning. So I would appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, remember, uh, and I'll keep reminding you of this now forever until we're done, October the 28th is our 19th annual Joy of Jesus Crusade at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. Um, please make plans to attend. You will be really, really blessed. And tomorrow morning, um, uh, Jocelyn Enriquez, uh, her married name is Jocelyn Makasadia. She is um, uh, the wife of our worship pastor. She is going to be on the KSAT live program. I think it starts at 1 o'clock. And um, um, tune in. You'll, you'll 
love to hear her testimony and what the Lord is doing. She's going to be featured at a concert at this year's Joy of Jesus. So that's Saturday, October the 28th from 11 o'clock until in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, our 19th annual Joy of Jesus festival and you will be amazed at what you see down there. Literally thousands of people throughout the day will be there. Uh, and uh, more stuff going on than you can imagine. So that's coming up. Put it on your calendars, and we would love to see you. Okay, let's go to some questions while we wait for any phone calls that you might have. Uh, 340-9585. Here is a question from Nacho from our email inbox. He says, Pastor Ron, could you please explain 1 Corinthians 15.34? Paul told them to stop sinning. If they know they are sinning, then they would know God. So why does Paul say that some of them are ignorant of God? Should he rather say that they are trampling on God's grace? You know, Nacho, one of the things that we never want to do is tell somebody who wrote the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what they should have said um, instead of what they did say. That's really important. Now, in this particular case, when, when Paul says, and that's just the NIV translation, some of the other translations uh, simply say they don't know God, um, but, but this goes to the root of the word ignorant, it's ignore. So they're not considering God. So that's what Paul's saying. Not that they're innocent because they're ignorant, like they're, they're just never heard about God. They're ignoring him completely. They're discounting anything and everything that God would have to say. So that's why Paul tells them to, um, to um, be sure to stop sinning. Um, if you're in sin, you can't fellowship with God. If you can't fellowship with God, your relationship crumbles. And your knowledge of God begins to take a back seat in your life. So I hope that helps a little bit. Let's go to Ray calling on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how you doing? Uh, this, I'm a first-time oh. caller. Oh, thank you. Uh, my question is, is I, I have a beloved friend, and we have a discussion going on um, based on Job and Genesis. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. His view, as far as he's learned as of late, is that Job is the oldest book in the in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my view is that you don't have Job without Genesis. <laughs> yeah. And I'd yeah, like I... to, I'd, I'd like to hear your take on that. Uh, he's 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 a very intelligent man, which is one of the reasons why we had this uh, in-depth yeah. conversation. Yeah, he, he's he's actually right, Ray. Uh, uh, while while we have Genesis chronologically, the events in Genesis obviously came before any of the other books. But the actual date of the composition of the book, uh, the Book of Job, it's a poem, by the way. But the 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 dating of the Book of Job puts it as the oldest book. So it was written uh, in, in about the times in time shortly after the flood. Um, um, Job, obviously, his story is well known. Uh, but it is the first book written. Moses compiled the first five books of the Bible. Uh, while they refer to times before that, they were actually compiled and put together and written after um, the book of um, of Job was. So Job is the oldest book, uh, and there's unanimous agreement on that by, by all scholars. So Job is the oldest book that we have in our Bible. It's just not referring to Genesis because it refers to things that happened at the very, very beginning. It talks about things that happened prior to Job, but the actual dating of the book is earlier. Okay? Okay. 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 Uh, just to clarify, because this is what questions that I have. Um how how is it that Job comes first when uh, Job is? Have you heard of Job? He's one of he's one of my most devoted. Or I, I can't quote you because I, I'm mm-hmm. quite not that interested. But in the Bible, but how have you heard of Job? He is uh, one of my more righteous. That's what he said. And to how do you judge him to be more righteous without others being around? Uh, specifically, there are people existing at Job's time. Um, well, yeah, there were a lot of people. No, or not, not. but the earth, the earth was populated, had a huge population before Moses uh-huh. was ever born, obviously. And and mm-hmm. so while, while Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Job mm-hmm. lived in a time that preceded Moses' life. 
and and uh, there was a lot of people. And when Satan was inspecting Job, that's right at the beginning of the book of Job, uh, God was simply acknowledging what Satan had been doing. You've been checking out my servant Job, hasn't you? There's no one like him in all the earth. He is righteous yes. like no other. Um, and and, and but, but that was lots and lots of people there. And because he was righteous in a world that was pretty much given over to sin, uh, he would have been a target for the enemy. And that's what, what Satan was doing. So um, uh, he was righteous compared to the multitudes of other people. Uh, he was a man that had God's heart. Not only was, was he, did he have God's heart, but God had his heart as well. He was righteous. He was devout. That doesn't mean he was perfect. He was a sinner like everybody else. But he was a man who really loved God and served God uh, and was generous and kind. He actually was like God in character. And that's why Satan picked on him. So uh, the, the earth had a huge, huge, huge population. People were still living for a very, very long time uh, in the time of Job. So uh, the, 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 the life expectancy hadn't yet been shortened. So I hope that makes sense to you, Ray. It, it perfectly does, but I, I'm still left with the question as to Genesis and, and Job. I, I don't mean to be rude, and I don't mean to be misunderstanding, but how do you have Job without Genesis? Well, you, you don't, but the, the book of Genesis was written many, many, many years after Job lived. After Job, remember, okay. So, yeah, so remember, what I'm getting at it is the book remember, of Job would be the oldest book in the Bible. The oldest book written in the Bible, but the book yeah, of Genesis, obviously... Am I, am I wrong or am I correct when I say canonized? Because I realize that canonized does mean a certain level of confirmation. Well, the, the 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 canon comes way after the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament, the the, the original books oh, okay. written in, of, the, of the Jewish Old Testament, um, go okay. way before the process of canonization. But remember, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and and because Moses wrote them, he obviously would have had to have been alive to write those books. God would have communicated that that information to him uh, in a supernatural way. And while, again, they deal with things that happened before Job, I mean, they go all the way back to the, the, the six days of creation and Adam and Eve and the fall of man and all those things. Uh, Moses wasn't around to experience those things, but he wrote about those things as the Lord instructed him to do. Uh, but but that was simply divine communication from God to Moses, dealing with the times from the beginning. But the book itself was written uh, a long, long, long time after the book of Job uh, was written and a long time after Job was was uh, lived and died. So I, okay. I, I don't know how to make it. OK, I don't know how to make it any clearer than no, that. No, no, no. You've, you've actually answered a lot of questions. Uh, I still have a little bit of confusion, but I mean that's that's only because I I, I fail to understand the chron chronological order of things. Um, yeah, the, the Bible's not written. Yeah, okay, thank you. The Bible's not written in chronological order. That's one of the things we have to understand. We got the the first five books of the Bible, um, but uh, uh, again, that obviously happened. The writing of those books uh, during Moses' lifetime, because he was the author of the books. Um, but at the same time, um, um, he, he would have been, the information communicated to Moses from the beginning would have been nothing more than divine revelation. I, I, I often, Ray, think about this. I would love to, to know, when we get to heaven, I'd love to know what it was like for Moses to get that whole story. And then, of course, Jews passed that story on from fathers to, to sons to grandsons and, and great-grandsons. So, so the, the oral communication of the history of Genesis and Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus, um, the, the oral communication of those books would have been passed from generation to generation. It was very sacred uh, to Jews uh, to keep that and pass it. That's why uh, Joshua was told by the Lord when he replaced Moses, uh, don't look to the left or to the right, but my word, my word, my word. And so it was, was to communicate uh, the traditions down uh, along the, the corridor of time and space. Ray, thanks for calling. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate you listening to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 
Here is a question from uh, Anonymous from our mobile app. Uh, this is in response to a, quote, a call that we had yesterday. Uh, he or she says, you brought up sex in marriage. You said the only forbidden form of sex act is sodomy. I assume you were thinking of a normal Christian couple. But any sex act outside of the physical contact by said married couple is forbidden. And then she asked, correct. Yes, you're right. I, my, the, the question that I was answering anonymous yesterday was very specific. Within the bounds of marriage, was there any sexual acts that were forbidden by God? And, and they sort of wanted to know what was okay to do and what wasn't okay to do in the privacy of a bedroom between a husband and wife. So I, I, I apologize for not being more clear, but the context of the question, I think, made it very, very clear. So you are right. Any sex act outside of the physical contact of a husband and a wife, um, married, uh, legally married, is forbidden, uh, always has been, and always will. And I say that, and at the same time, we've had people for a long, long time ignoring um, ignoring God in that situation. So uh, thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate the, the opportunity to straighten it out. Let's go to Victor calling on line two. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call, Pastor. I had one that brought mm-hmm. up a very interesting question. Uh, so my question is, uh, is there, uh, does anyone know... Uh, whether the book of Job was written uh, or even the events occurred between Noah and Abraham or between Abraham and Moses? Um, Job predated Abraham. So, so uh, it would have been between Noah and Abraham rather than between Job and Moses. Now, again, we have to understand that people lived a very long time then, Victor, so there was some crossover. Um, there, there were people who lived so many generations um, until the, the, the lifespan was shortened dramatically. So uh, Job would have lived in a time between Noah and Abraham. Okay? Interesting. I just wanted to also, yep. how, how, did, uh, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, just the, the references, um, the poetic references. Uh, we, we've got dinosaurs. Um, we've got um, um, uh, just the, the historical references, the, the peoples, uh, the, the, the historical references to the peoples that lived at the time. Um, it, it's, it's really not hard to trace. If you, if you just Google uh, Job's life timeline, um, you would get um, um, uh, some some really good solid information, but but all of the answers, and this is something that we really have to understand as people who love God's word, is the answers are always in the book. So it's not something that we just say, well, this happened before this. Um, Job is referenced uh, by by uh, Daniel. Uh, as an example, hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, not because Job was still alive, but because Job was righteous. So there, there are, are, are lots of references to um, Job's fame uh, in, the, in, the, the, uh, in his book, but, but it's just something that you have to kind of dig through like clues. That's one of the reasons why just kind of skimming through your Bible um, really leaves us without answers to a lot of questions. But the more you read something, the more you dig into the details, um, the more answers that you'll find. You know, Victor, when we did the book of Job, uh, I have a tendency here, I, I tease with the church, but I'm not really teasing, that I have a tendency to live through the things that I'm teaching. And uh, I didn't want to teach the book of Job, I hope for obvious reasons. Uh, but when we taught the book of Job, it had a profound impact on our church. And uh, I might even invite you to, to go to our website, calvarysa.com, and listen to the very first study that I did in Job, Job chapter 1. If you don't want to listen to the rest of them, that's, that's fine. But uh, there's a lot of historical information that I give in that Bible study. So it is all available to you for free. Okay, very good. You answered my question, Pastor Ron. Thank you very much. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate it very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Kirby from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, since we know that the Old Testament was given to us as an example, uh, what do we see in the examples of Enoch and Elijah? Do their raptures, and that's in quotes, point to the rapture of the church, uh, those who are walking with Christ. Uh, only one of them does, Kirby, uh, and, and that's Enoch. Enoch is a very clear picture of the church being raptured uh, prior to judgment. 
um, the message was given uh, to uh, to Enoch that he would have a son. Uh, his name will be Methuselah. Um, when he comes, it judgment will come. Uh, Methuselah's name actually means javelin, as in a, a weapon of war, uh, and and he would have understood. Uh, Enoch, that this was a message to God. Now, here's something interesting about Enoch. Enoch walked for 65 years in a world completely given over to evil. Um, Every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Very, very important uh, adjectives there. So what we've got is a man who's walking in the world like everybody else. God sends him this message about his son and the name. And he understands that that's a promise of judgment, and he repents and gets right with God. And then we're told that he walks for 300 years. And and uh, then God takes him away. Uh, that means he escaped the judgment that was going to come upon the whole world. That That was the promise. Enoch was raptured to be with Jesus. Not so with Elijah. Elijah is, is purely an Old Testament figure. Uh, and Elijah it was taken to be with God. Elijah's not done. He is going to be one of the two witnesses uh, from the book of Revelation. He, along with Moses, and uh, um, they have more work yet to do. Uh, Moses' body was never discovered. He's going to be raised from the dead, and he and Elijah will be the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. So um, Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church, being taken to be with the Lord before judgment comes, uh, but not Elijah. Hope that helps. Thank you, Kirby. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Anonymous. Uh, My teenagers ask me what the purpose of our lives really is. What should I tell them? Anonymous, uh, every day before we start this program, I'm going to, I'll answer your question, but um, every day we have uh, some young kids from nine years old to 11 years old, they come in, and sometimes even younger, they come in, they pray um, in in our studio here at the church um, before this program. And we all hold hands, and I have them pray for the program, I have them pray for you. Uh, And while they were in here, before we started prayer, I let them read this question, and I asked them to uh, answer it for me. And without hesitation, there were four of them in here today, three of them in here today, and all three of them said, well, the purpose of our lives is to worship God. And they're absolutely right. Revelation 4.11 tells us that we, we were created by him, for him, and literally in the Greek, it's toward him. So that's our only purpose, is to worship God. Now, in the process of worshiping God, there will be lots of other things for us to do, and we'll find great joy in doing those things. But even those things, if we lose focus on our real purpose to worship God, none of those other things will have any meaning at all. So that's what I would tell my teenagers. Your your purpose in life isn't to be rich. It's not to be successful. It's not to be a, a mom or a dad. It's not to be um, uh, happy, certainly. But the purpose of life is to worship God. Now, why would God want us to worship him? Why would that be the purpose? Well, God knows that we become like whoever or whatever we worship. That's why if somebody's little G God is money, we become cold and selfish because money is that way. But if our God is Jesus Christ, the only true and living God, Titus says he's God over all, then we become like him in the process of worshiping him. So it's not that God is... Excuse me. It's not that God was was is needy or he's in heaven saying nobody's worshiping me today. Poor me. He just knows that by worshiping him we'll become more like him. And that puts our feet on a path that God has established before we were ever born, his perfect, pleasing, acceptable will. So there's no better question that a teenager could ask. And when they're walking with God in his will, everything that God puts in their hands will have great purpose and great meaning and their lives will be abundantly fruitful. On the other hand, if they walk outside of God's will, nothing, even the good things this world has to offer, will have any meaning at all. 
Do you remember Anonymous? And this is a great uh, uh, Bible study that you can kind of take them to when they're asking these kind of questions. Go to the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, obviously, he was rich. He was young. Uh, he was important. Um, um, and yet he knew that there was something missing in his heart. So he went to Jesus and said, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And the problem he was asking about was him. What must I do? There's nothing you can do. Jesus understood the point of the question. He said, uh, keep the commandments. He said, all these commandments I keep, those are the what I call the horizontal commandments, man to man. And then he says, one thing you still lack. And the rich young ruler said, no, I've done all those things. I'm fine. No, he knew he was lacking. And he said, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler, with all the best this world has to offer, walked away sad. And it's a really strong word, active word in Greek for sad. And he was sad because he still was empty. He chose possessions over relationship with God. So tell your teenagers that everything this world has to offer will turn out to be empty in the end apart from Jesus Christ. Worship Him. Revelation 4.11. Thanks for the question. 340-9585. we got 30 minutes left in today's program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back on the other side of the break in two minutes. See you then. to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Wednesday program, 340-9585. Paula, I know you're listening. I'm glad you're home. It seems suddenly everything is right with the world again. That's my way of promoting the Date Day program tomorrow uh, with Paula. As long as her voice is back, um, she'll be here with me in the program. Um, my producer says, if not, it'll be the Sam and Don show. Uh, I think Paula right now is gardening to make sure she's going to be okay. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 24 tonight. Here's a question from Jason. Um, it's a question I get all the time, and it's a hard question to answer. Um, Pastor Ron, what's the best way to understand the Trinity? Jason, I don't know that we're supposed to be able to understand it. I think rather than comprehend, we're to apprehend the treasure that is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So let me do the best I can, and this is what works for me. Rather than think about 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, we don't have three gods. We have one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, the Hebrew Shema. Um, so so we're, we're monolithic in that there's just one God, but he reveals himself to us in three equal persons. The Father is completely God, the Son is completely God, and the Holy Spirit is completely God. They're not one-third of God, one-third of God, and one-third of God. They're all completely God. They possess the same attributes. They're all referred to in Scripture as God, not a little junior God, but as God. Um, and, and so we have to understand that's what the Bible says. Now, do we have to understand it? God is so far above us and, and so infinitely greater than, than we are that we can't understand it completely. But when we kind of break down their individual roles, the Father sent the Son to die for the sins of the world so that the Son could reveal the person of the Father. The Son was sent by the Father. The Son's job, he said, Jesus himself said, was to reveal the Father. Philip, don't you know that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? The Son's job is to declare the glory of the Father, to do the will of his Father, and in the process, to draw disciples after himself. That's why we're called Christians. Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave, he told his disciples, who will be apostles, 
I will not leave you alone. I will send another me, another comforter, counselor. The Greek word another is the word allos. And it means of the same substance, the same character. Different in physicality only, but in every other regard the same. So he says, I will send another me to you, and he will be in you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. He will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. And we're told by Jesus in this explanation to his disciples that the Holy Spirit's job is to testify of him. So as the Father sent the Son, and the Son testified of the Father, the Holy Spirit was sent by the Son to testify about Jesus, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, and to testify of Jesus, the answer that precludes judgment. So, different roles, same God, evident in three persons. The Father and the Son are in heaven, Jason. The Son in his physically glorified, resurrected body, still with the wounds in his hands and on his body, but both in heaven. The Father who is spirit, the Son who is physical. The Spirit is still here with us. And what's his job? His job is testifying of Jesus. So that's the easiest way. For those, Jason, who get caught up in the, the three God thing, uh, the, the, the mathematical equation 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, but 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. And that's the best way to understand it. Um, these are the mysteries that we won't understand until we get to heaven completely. But right now, remember, we don't have to understand them completely. I think that's an explanation that makes sense to people in the sense that this is their job. These are the different roles. But every time we come, to, we try to come up with different uh, examples or illustrations to, to, to explain the Trinity, they all fall short. So Jesus is God, the Spirit is God, of course the Father is God, and they all have a different role in our lives, all predicated on the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. So Jason, I hope that helps you just a little bit. Here's an anonymous question. Tough one, too. What are some pitfalls a couple considering marriage with blended families should be warned about? Who anonymous. The list is long. The list is long. You know, um, I think the first thing that I want to say here is that when there are blended families that are going to be joined together in marriage. I think it's important from the very beginning that pre-marriage counseling involves the kids. Pre-marriage counseling has to involve the kids from both sides because their lives have been thrown um, um, off the tracks by divorce and now suddenly there's a new family, they're supposed to love them. So they need to understand what God is doing. We do that uh, here in our pre-marriage counseling in situations like this. But I think the, 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 the most important thing, and I'm going to be general here, but it works both ways, although I'm going to use the, 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 the mothers of the children as, as the primary illustration. Um, when a mother um, is bringing her children into a marriage with another man, she needs to trust that man and be so convinced that this man is from God that she can trust her kids with, with her new spouse. You know, one of the things that the enemy uses to destroy these blended families is, well, these are my kids and these are your kids. And so you don't discipline my kids, I won't discipline your kids. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Another pitfall, Anonymous, is that often um, the mother, most often, but not always and only, she actually puts her kids ahead of a relationship, her relationship with her own children, her natural children, ahead of a relationship with her husband. That can't be. When you're marrying somebody, you better be convinced that he or she is exactly who God's brought into your life. You better be convinced of their walk with the Lord. You better be convinced of their heart, not just for you, but for your children as well. And they have to understand 
that their job is to love the blended children as much as the natural children because that's what Jesus did for us. And too often there's tension and division in families because children won't respect, children and the mother won't respect the father, children and the father won't respect the mother, and you've always got this tension, you've got parents taking sides often against their spouse with their own kids. So these are decisions that have to be made very, very slowly, very carefully, and very prayerfully. And when somebody comes to me and they've got kids they're bringing into a a new man's home or a new woman's home, uh, my first question is, tell me why you think God brought you together. And in large part, it's to bless those kids. And those kids need to be in a godly home. Now, here's one of the problems. The spouses, the divorced spouses, the absent parent or the one who has occasional custody, weekend custody or every other month custody or every summer custody. Um, If they're not following the Lord, if they really don't want what's best for their kids, then they're always going to try to play the kids against the new family. And there has to be unanimity. There's got to be. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Amos 3.3 says... Well, I could say, how can six walk together unless they agree to do so? It has to be clear that this is of the Lord. So it's really important. If you don't trust your spouse with your natural children, then you have no business marrying him or her. And I realize sometimes, you know, well, we want what, what we want, and I'm attracted to this man or I'm attracted to this woman. We think we can make it work out. Your children are not an experiment. Your children have been hurt by divorce. And they need to see that this man and this woman God has brought into your life is the answer to their pain and not someone who's going to add to their pain. So these are really important things to consider. And sadly, Anonymous, um, too many people in this situation don't consider the children um, with enough seriousness. So I hope that helps. 340-9585, here's another anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, why should I pray when I don't seem to be getting answers? Well, the reason that we're to pray is because God said to do it. And if I wasn't getting answers to my prayer, I don't think my question would be, why should I pray? My question would be, what are the motives of my prayer? When you're not getting answers to your prayers... It's either because it's not God's will for you or you want what you want for you instead of wanting what God wants. And God's never going to answer those prayers, by the way. Uh, Maybe it's the content of your prayer, the, 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 the purpose or the use of the answers to those prayers. You see, we can't hide from God. He knows everything about us. And so here's what I would suggest you do, Anonymous. Start praying in the will of God. Read the Apostle Paul's prayers, most notably his prayers, his two prayers to the Ephesians and two prayers to the Colossians are marvelous prayers to pray. And if you will read those out loud and you could say, Jesus, make this my prayer, then you know you're praying in the will of God and prayers are going to start to get answered. But if you're praying for more money, if you're praying for a different a relationship, you're praying for a new job, whatever it is you're praying for, you've got to be able to say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. And I think a lot of times we Christians get frustrated because God isn't answering our prayers. Somebody's sick and they're not getting well. Well, God, what's the point of praying if you're not going to answer that? Well, how about God's will is the point of praying? How about praying just because Jesus died to give you access to the throne of heaven? What about praying because the purpose of prayer isn't to get what we want, but the purpose of prayer is to be more like Jesus so that we'll want what he wants for us. I think sometimes we treat God like he's up there in heaven taking a list of our prayers. And i got to hurry, i got to hurry because he's got this big list of prayers. Um, answers to prayers, we have to be patient 
we have to be willing to hear the word no. We have to say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. I know that's redundant, but it's that important. And until we can pray like that, you're not going to get prayers answered. But I promise you this, Anonymous, if you can pray in the will of God, if you're spending time in the Word of God, you're going to get prayers answered. And when God starts answering prayers, believe me, we who are His turn into prayer warriors. Because what we're praying is the very will of God for our lives. We want to honor Him and want to bring glory to Him. And the only way that can happen is when we want what He wants. David wrote, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Anonymous, that doesn't mean that He's going to give you the new things or the new relationships or the new job that you ask for. But what it means is that when you delight yourself in Jesus, He will put the desires He has for you in your heart and that will be what you pray for. And again, then prayers will be answered. You will be stunned with just how quickly God answers those prayers. One final thought, Anonymous. I think when I get to heaven, I don't know about you, but just for me, I think when I get to heaven, I think some of the prayers I'm going to be the most grateful to God for are the ones that he said no to. Because those are prayers that I was praying out of my flesh, prayers that would have caused me difficulty, prayers that would have caused damage to my relationship with the Lord. And he loves me so much that he protects me even from me. So that's why you should pray. I always get a little concerned when I, I mean, these questions to me seem challenging. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But why should I pray? Because God gave his life to give us the privilege to pray. So pray. You'll be more and more like Jesus every day. And you'll start getting prayers answered. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Jason. He says, why, uh, I'm sorry, my question is about pleading the blood of Jesus over health or finances. Is that a good thing to do? Uh, Jason, it's not a good thing to do. It's an unnecessary thing to do. Why do we have to plead for something that we've already benefited from? The blood of Jesus washed away all sins. His death gave us life. New life in Christ. So why would you plead the blood of Jesus over health or finances? What you have to do is you say, Jesus, my body is yours. Be as good a steward of your body as you can. Every time I get the opportunity, I say this, Jason, Christians need to be concerned about their physical well-being, their health. We need to eat better. We need to exercise. You can't serve God if you're dead. So you don't have to plead the blood for that. What you do is you say, Jesus, I want to be strong so I can serve you. I want to use all my strength for you. Now, I I don't live in a bubble. I've had some health issues just this past year, as most of you know. But uh, my prayer every day for me and for Paula is that that our bodies would be free of disease, um, that we would be healthy and strong enough to serve with all the strength we have left to help us to finish well for the glory of God. And and, uh, then I I say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. We just want to do the work of the Lord. I don't want to be healthy just for health's sake. Now, I hate being unhealthy. I hate having difficulties. I've been... Uh, an unbelievably healthy person all my life. So this past year has been a completely new thing for me to deal with. But what I want is to be able to do what He created me to do. I don't want to be healthy so I can have more fun. I don't want to be healthy just so I can escape the pain of illness or disease. Of course I do. I'm a human. But I want to be healthy so that I can tell people about Jesus. I love what I do. I can't imagine doing anything else. So I don't have to plead the blood. I just have to do my part. And here's what I know to be true regarding my health. In yours, Jason, if you'll commit your health to him, if you'll do your part by eating better and exercising, 
um, um, God will honor that prayer until he's done with you. Then when he's done with you, he'll take you home to be with him. And we got to be okay with that. Now, one of the things that's always amazed me about the Bible is the different ways people died, the, the different states of their bodies physically when they died. You know, Moses was full of strength when he died. Um, mentally, physically, um, you would look at him and say, I can't believe he's that old. Joshua was not. Joshua died at 110 years of age. Jews believe that to be the perfect length of life. It was sort of like God giving Joshua a kiss, but Joshua was weak and feeble at the end. David, we know, became very weak and feeble at the end. So the truth is, we all have to face it one way or another. So all we have to do is say, Lord, thy will, not my will be done. I'm doing my part. Now, about finances, I think this is equally important. Um, with the finances, I think we've got to to, to say, Lord, um, I'm praying for my finances. Um, I'm not pleading the blood. I'm just saying, Lord, is it your money or mine? We have to check our hearts. Is it your money, Lord, or am I treating it like it's my money? What would you do, Jason, if God blessed you abundantly financially? What would you do with the money? Would you honor God with it, all of it? I don't mean giving it all away, but I mean, would you say it's all yours, Lord? Or do you want to be blessed financially just so your life can be easier? So you can have nicer things? You see, we've got to make the decision whether or not what we have is His. We're His, our health. Everything that we have is his, our finances. So you don't need to plead the blood. Just do what Jesus told you to do. Let's go to Ray holding on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. First question is, is, uh, why do you have more anonymous than Ray's? And I think today you've had more Ray's than usual. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good name. What can I say? Uh, yeah, uh, no, no, no answer to that one. But um, yep. when when you had mentioned earlier that the purpose of our being created was to worship God, um, I was a little bit puzzled. In as much as would that be considered the same thing as? Uh, oh gosh, now I've lost my my avenue to tie that together, but uh, <clears throat> uh, to worship God, to honor, to bring him glory, you know, um, to to make him uh, proud of his creation, you know, I mean, he said we were the best that he'd done, and it was all real good, and we 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 would, I, is, isn't that kind of uh, a roundabout way of being in the same Line. I don't know if I'm being really obtuse or. Yeah, I I, I do, Ray. I think I can help, but I I think that the the disconnect is uh, whenever we we I want to worship God, so God will be proud of me. Uh, God is already thrilled with you. See, that's That's, the thing that we 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 fail to see. Uh, But but, God doesn't. He doesn't. Go ahead. But that that was not what what I was saying that you know I, I would do something so that you know it would be uh, self-aggrandizing and you know oh he'll be proud of me if I do this you know if I win that race he'll be you know no it's a matter of he he made me to do the best I could with what he's given me and and uh, so in that way. Um, Rather than just uh, going, well, I just want to bow down and worship God because he's God, as opposed to I want to do the best whatever he would want. You know, it seems like a little bit uh, around the block kind of way to go, but um, I I, kind of misled you with the first part. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I think I understand where you're going, but here's what we need to understand, that, that... 
worship God doesn't mean to bow down and, 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 and sing songs to him. Worshiping God means to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 says, uh, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Um, uh, Paul says it's our reasonable service in the King James, our genuine act of worship in the NIV. Um, so, so worshiping God. In the Old Testament, whenever we see worship mentioned, somebody dies. So the way we worship God is to die, not not to die physically, but so that we can die to ourselves, so we can live for him. And that's what worship is. Worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just being on your face prostrate before God, prostrate before God. But it, it does include that at times. You know, uh, Ray, you know me, and I'm not a really musical person in the sense that uh, I'm not emotionally moved by music as, as a lot of people are. Um, but, but, you know, when I am uncomfortable singing a song or, or when, um, um, you know, it's just not my thing, kind of, um, I realize that I still owe him worship. So I step outside of myself. Uh, in the same way, people that get really emotional worship sometimes think that's all worship is. And then, and then they live the rest of their lives for themselves. So when we worship God, we do so. We become more like him in the process. And then we can fulfill everything that God has for us. And we get that opportunity to, to stand before him and hear him say, well done. He gives us these crowns of righteousness. And and uh, we, we don't want to deprive him of that opportunity. So while I, I, I want to say this again, while it's true that we are... Uh, that God is pleased with us. He's proud of us already. Uh, he still wants to give us all of the rewards at the Bema Seat of Christ that we have. And if we receive those rewards, I promise you the look on his face on that day will make everything that we considered here on earth a sacrifice more than worthwhile. More than worthwhile. It's just a, a marvelous, marvelous thing. But the purpose of our lives is to worship God, but even the angels in heaven around the throne worship him night and day. So we worship him while we're alive here by offering our lives. Ray, thanks for the question. We're at the end of the show. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Pray for Paula's voice because I want to do the show with her tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock, Lord willing. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.